the GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So, uh, Mike, how's your week going? Oh, you know, same old. <laughs> Did a lot of work in the podcast this week. A lot of promotion. Yeah, it was a really good week for us this week. Uh, thank you to everybody that downloaded and supported the Melee episode. Saw a lot of positive reception, mm-hmm. a lot of friends and family jumping on board. And even on Reddit, we started to promote the podcast, which has been really fun. Yeah, got some good love on Reddit. Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty cool week in that sense. We like doubled our Instagram followers, which is cool. If you haven't followed us already, we are called the the GameCube Pod. We went from like 22 followers to like 40 last time I checked. Hey, look at us. We're going to be influencers soon. Pretty soon. Yeah, we're going to have to start. Like, It's going to be hard to go out in public pretty soon. <laughs> no, it's it's been a pretty cool week, though. We had that. We had uh, a great new game on the Nintendo Switch this week. Uh, Pod Racing finally came out. Pod Racing finally came out uh, 21 years later. Yeah, I'm going to give a quick review on it because I, I, a lot of our friends were asking about it. And I said, I'm just going to save it for the podcast and you guys can can listen to it later. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, it's exactly what every N64 remake should be. <laughs> um it's perfect. Like it's, they basically took the game as it was. They kept all the original voice acting the same. So Jake Lloyd is probably collecting royalty checks now, <laughs> but the graphics have all been sharpened up a bit. Like there's always that bit of N64 blur around the edges of shapes, which has been cleaned up. So it's very sharp. The image looks great on the switch and on TV. And yeah, like the music is great. It's, it's just so much fun to play. It's exactly how I remembered it. And I don't want to go back to the old version because I'm sure that game is not like how I remembered it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you can tell it's an N64 game. The character models look terrible. The, the frame rate does dip at points, uh, especially when it introduces the stage and the course. There's like a little short video. Those look terrible. But when you actually start the race, it's beautiful, which is all I care about. Is Liam Neeson in it at all? Does he make an appearance? No, he was never in it. Okay, yeah. Uh, we have uh, we have like a Watto-like character. It's not Watto. He just kind of hums around while you're in the shop. As the game works, you can unlock parts for pods, and you can go to this junkyard guy. And I'm really upset that it's not Watto then. That's, uh, come on. Yeah, they, they missed a lot of key characters. They missed out on Watto. They missed out on the two-headed announcer. Oh, yeah. Um, that was weird. But... Yeah, it does have the Jake Lloyd voice actor and the character that voices Zabulba <laughs> in episode one, which is really weird, but cool at the same time. My friend Jake, I believe, I remember talking to him. He has a Zabulba blanket, I think. He's a cool character, but like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember him showing it to me and I was like, why? Why do you have this? Where did this come from? But I guess like that, I know in 99, 98, uh, Star Wars went like, well, George Lucas went nuts in terms of just merchandising everything like you could if it was in the movie you could buy it yeah you could buy a toy a blanket shampoo they had everything yeah he knew how to merchandise to death by by 1999 um so yeah i mean if 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 you haven't played this game already i'd highly recommend it for most Mm. people it was pretty cheap it was like 20 bucks canadian but it's a it's a very faithful remake to the original game which i like i said up front i really hope that nintendo sees this and does it with more of their N64 games. We don't need the Ocarina of Time Majora's Mask complete remake that they did on the 3DS. We just need the N64 games to be tightened up a little bit and put put on the console for 15 or 20 bucks a piece. I, I think I would love that. 
that would also kind of go with their subscription model if they end up trying to do that. You know, I, there's I've heard so much, I've heard so many different theories, I guess, of what they want to do for their virtual console and uh, in the future. Yeah, I think that if like another year goes by and we don't have another Animal Crossing kind of thing, uh, they just had Pokemon and Animal Crossing within a few months of each other, which set the world on fire for at least a short period of time. Mm-hmm. I think Animal Crossing is still killing it. Mm-hmm. They can keep N64 for the uh, classic subscription model they can keep that in their back pocket for a, a rainy day for for sure yeah i think that's what they're gonna do for a lot of these things yeah i think the only reason why we're getting games like like this star wars game is because lucas arts have to maintain the the licensing to them so they have to remake them there's a few of these games on the switch already there was jedi knight academy there's a what's the other one the bounty hunter game i think is on there so i think they have to do this otherwise they lose it i think we'll probably see some other star wars games like shadows of the empire pop up on switch mm-hmm. so obviously i have gotten a lot of feedback from this podcast and a lot of friends and and uh, other people asking for episodes and asking for games to be reviewed now which is kind of fun and i can cool. i did i did tell them i'm like no we're not really reviewing these games they came out like 20 years ago <laughs> there's <laughs> reviews out there if you want yeah. Yeah. it's more just talking with them but i the the game i've had the most requests for is wind waker oh okay yeah so we're yeah so for those of you that don't know if you're new to the podcast mike and i let's just introduce the show okay uh just to kind of give a, a quick summary of the show <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the GameCube Was Cool podcast. I am Neil. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Lane. Hi. Uh, so, we are here to go back and talk about games that came out on the GameCube and our memories of them in a nostalgic view and as well as a modern day view to see how well the games hold up. Uh, so, we're going through all 555 North American releases. I have no idea how many games we've done so far. Do you? Yes, I do, actually. I have that number. Okay. After today, we'll have hit 49. Sweet. 49. Okay. So 49 games uh, talked about. Yeah. 49 back of the case is red. <laughs> yeah. 40. And that is part of the uh, GameCube was cool podcast is I will read the back of every single case. It's a, a goal of mine that I've had since I was young, I guess since about eight to be exact. <laughs> I just imagine you looking up into the stars and thinking, you know what? One day I'm going to read every single back of the case of GameCube games, all 555. And then they're like, you know what? GameCube just came out. So I don't know. How do you know that? Yeah. How do you know how many games are going to be? That's that's pretty incredible. What's the next console going to be? Is it going to do super well? You're like, yes. And then after that, exactly. no. <laughs> yeah, right. It's going to be uphill from there and then downhill real fast. <laughs> so the podcast is released every week, every Thursday. We sit down. Usually we sit down and talk about uh, either a AAA game like Wind Waker, for example, for an hour or so, or we'll dive in and talk about maybe two lesser games like double-A games like Wave Race or 1080 Avalanche, or we'll just do a grab bag of random sports games. We'll try and cover 10 or 15 games in a day. We're not going to praise every single game. Apologize in advance. Uh, I know that a ton of people will probably like the games that we're going to talk about today, but today's episode is all about games that we think are completely and totally unplayable, either at the time that they came out, or if you were to go back now, probably not the best choice. A few of these games seem to be loved by people who played them at the time, Mm -hmm which is great. Uh, I have a few of those games from my childhood, which I love, still love, and are panned online. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I completely respect if you had fun playing a game that you rented at Blockbuster for a weekend. But, uh, yeah, some of these games are just bad. So, yeah. I was going to say, we should actually say the title here, too. So, the title of this episode is Episode 8, Unplayable, 2001 to 2002. So, this is just the first of hopefully many unplayable uh episodes that we'll have 
Yes, and I, we also, Mike and I are trying to become more visible on the GameCube Enthusiast channel on Facebook. I put out a just a small comment a couple hours ago, which was probably not enough time, just to see what if anybody had any games that they found unplayable. I got the ball rolling, unfortunately, with two very beloved games on the console, <laughs> just to kind of spark some <laughs> fuel. <laughs> I like that. Uh, to be fair, I do find, I, I posted Resident Evil 1 and Eternal Darkness, which to their own right, they're great games, but I find them unplayable. We're not going to be talking about great games on this episode. These are games that were never meant to be blockbuster games like Resident Evil or Eternal Darkness. I just hate tank controls. Yeah, that, and that's, you know, that's fair. That's fair. I did power through Eternal Darkness. It's a great game. I couldn't get through the first hour of Resident Evil. I just can't. Yeah, that's, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, onward with the first game on our list for today, Universal Studios Theme Park Adventure just the name. was released. Just the name alone <laughs> was released on December eighteenth, two thousand one, a mere one month after the console launched. It's a GameCube exclusive, developed by Naya Digital Works, publisher Chemco. Mostly received three out of tens. So I think the issue with this game. So this game is actually quite different from the rest of the games that are on this list today. Um, the issue with this game is that it's not a game. It's not a game at no. all, and it's barely a sim. Like, so I can just do a little breakdown on this game for you. So you, the game yep. starts off, you're in the Universal Studios kind of theme park. You know, they kind of take you through. There's, you know, the graphics aren't great, obviously, but it's... it's. This was probably an N64 game. Yeah, exactly. Remember, this was 2001, so it was probably made for N64, and they just delayed it for GameCube, uh, which is which is fair. The graphics, honestly, are not the problem in this game at all. The, the, the problem in this game is that... You have all these amazing rides, like the Back to the Future ride, Spider-Man ride, uh, the Jurassic Park stuff, everything in this like in the park that is so exciting and cool. And to a kid, it is kind of neat because it's like, oh my god, I can like ride these rides and not like have to wait in line, and you know, I can kind of mm -hmm. play around. Like this is a neat game, but you can barely ride the rides. All you do is you pick up garbage. That's all you do yeah. in this game. Yeah, that's what I was... <laughs> you know fun. You know fun video game mechanics. Yeah, the game had really high potential. I think it's actually ahead of its time, and they should try to revisit this concept, especially with VR nowadays. Yes, absolutely. It would be really cool to say, like, hey, we're going to release a Disney World bundle for VR users. You can walk around the park. You can maybe go on a few rides. You can meet some characters. I think it's a really clever idea that I think should so too. be revisited with VR or something like that. My earliest impression of this game, I remember seeing it in Blockbuster, I think, back in the day. And at a first glance, I remember thinking it was a Turok game just because I saw the dinosaur. The dinosaur from oh. Jurassic Park takes up. And most Turok uh, games have the dinosaur on the front. But then you take a closer look and E.T.'s there. The Back to the Future DeLorean is mm -hmm. there. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's not a video game. You collect garbage to earn points to go on parts of rides or something yeah like yeah that. parts of rides is, is the right word to use there <laughs> yeah and the one thing i do love about this game is that as the main host or your you know your main character in the game is you you're the avatar but then woody woodpecker <laughs> is the host yeah I which forgot, i love yeah. also i just want to give a shout out to uh so this was reviewed an actual review by angry video game nerd a couple of years ago perfect I encourage everyone to check out his review of it. It basically will say everything that we're saying here, but he breaks it down so well and obviously gets so angry playing this terrible, terrible game. It has high potential. Universal has a lot of great franchises that, like I said, could be revisited in a real video game. That's why he was so angry, too, because of the potential. Because you look as yeah. a kid, you look at the box, you're like, E.T., Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, I'm in. You know, 
when we first came up with the idea of the podcast, I remember seeing this title thinking, oh, yeah, I remember this game. I'm going to check it out, maybe pick it up on eBay. It'll be a fun <laughs> thing. I can talk about actually having some firsthand experience with it. But looking at it, I thought I'm just going to save my money um, <laughs> on something else. The game isn't super expensive on eBay. It's pretty cheap. It's between 10 and 15 bucks, depending on the condition and the seller. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's definitely one of the one of the bargain bin games. Shovelware. Also, one of my favorite parts about this game is that you still have to wait in line. And most rides uh, will say that the line is too long. They just You just go up to it and it just says, uh, sorry, the line is too long. And you just, I guess, have to collect more trash and go to another game, like ride. It's terrible. You know fun, Mike. That That's fun. <laughs> that's what kids want in games. Especially when you go to an amusement park. Basically, you get to be that really upset patron in uh roller coaster tycoon who doesn't like anything <laughs> yeah, exactly you get to be that npc in <laughs> that's, the game. What I, that's what I, I i felt like oh my god that's funny I, I also wanted to mention too when you pick up cans it's mostly cans that are the trash but uh, and just random stuff and when you pick them up you get points and the more points you get the more rides you can go on and the better rides that you can go on i think it's like only like 10 or 20 points per trash that you pick up and it, you need like thousands of points Oh my to God. go on some of these rides. So it's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it should have had a quicker unlock system for the rides. It should have been fast, like collect 50 cans and you have everything, something like that. Uh, you shouldn't even have to collect cans. <laughs> I guess that's true. I, I'm not, I'm, I can't see the forest for the trees here. Oh, yeah, I, should, we, uh, I guess we should say, too, that the rides are technically are playable. So like in the Jaws one, you have to throw barrels at his head to get him to stop biting in the boat. Okay, but it's yeah. I saw yeah. I saw a bit of that. Like the Jurassic Park one is you're in a jeep and you're shooting at a dinosaur chasing you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's scenes from movies and stuff. But the like controls that. are just that's where the yeah. unplayable aspect comes in. Like you can't even finish the rides. Yeah, this could have been a great novelty game that you could only buy at Universal Studios. That would have made it an insane collector's item. Yeah, I, I think like the 3DS game. There's a, a museum in Paris that there's a 3DS game that you can get in that museum. It's like a tour guide oh, that you can sick. use with your 3DS. That's the only place in the world you can buy that game. So it's a highly sought after game for collect collectors and completionists. Interesting. But yeah, this would have been great uh, to have in Universal Studios, California and Florida. Mm -hmm. Just to, I don't know, like you might have sold more copies doing that than making this a regular game you can buy mm -hmm. in a Walmart or something like that. Well, I think that's enough on that. So yeah, that's uh, this exclusive GameCube game, Universal Studios Theme Park Adventure. Time to read the back of the case. It's a VIP ticket to Theme Park Adventure. Lights, camera, play. You're not just a visitor, you're the star in Kemco's Universal Studios Theme Park Adventure. A magical 3D journey beyond the theme park rides and into an amazing realm of games based upon the most successful movies produced in Hollywood. You'll love this virtual gaming park through the world's best movie theme park. And Woody Woodpecker has a message too. He says, guess who? I'm the guide and you're the star in this amazing theme park adventure game. <laughs> Thanks, Woody. That was probably the last time we saw him, right? And Woody Woodpecker was mysteriously killed. <laughs> Never seen again. I think there was a live action Woody Woodpecker film that was made not long ago. Really? It was terrible. Yeah, like in the last like in five years? Oh, that's a good question. Let's look it up. I'll let you look it up while I keep going. But Oh, God, you're yeah. right. It's 2017. Oh, boy. Yeah, three years ago, there was a live-action Woody Woodpecker film. So that would have been the last time we've seen him. So they've tried to revive the poor little bird, but this, here we are. This looks awful. Yep. On to the next game. We have ESPN International Winter Sports 2002. was released on February 4th, 2002, 
It's also on Game Boy Advance, Xbox, and PlayStation 2. The developer and publisher was Konami. Not terrible. It was given like 60s and 70s, so it's it's a medium range game. This game isn't completely trash. It's it's about 10 bucks now on eBay if you're looking to pick it up, mm-hmm. so it's definitely not hard to find. So a couple things here. So this is ESPN. This is another ESPN game. We last covered the ESPN game on uh, the soccer episode with ESPN MLS Extra Time. And mm-hmm. that game, also produced by Konami, was, uh, you know, relatively similarly received, uh, maybe a little bit better. But it goes for, I believe it's like $110, Neil, right? Yeah, that was the more expensive soccer game on the console. Yeah. This, unfortunately, did not carry on that trend. So I, I think that's, one, that's a kind of a bit of a telling sign right there. And uh, two, one of my favorite parts about this game is that the fact that ESPN did not have the Olympic rights uh, this year, so they had to call it (laughs) ESPN International Winter Sports 2002, uh, which is a terrible name. Yeah, Olympic sport games are tough. I've never been into them. The Mario and Sonic games are fun. That's probably the best Olympic sports franchise. They do them the best because they focus on the arcadey aspect of it while also trying to bring in the realism of like records and stuff like that. So right. that that part of it, I think, is what will bring people into those kind of games. Yeah, they try and cover way too many sports in these games, which at this time, as we've talked about before, most games that did the sports games that did really well just focused on that one sport, like, mm-hmm. you know, BMX, snowboarding, skateboarding, inline skating. <laughs> they didn't try and do everything in one package where this game tries to cover mogul skiing. Uh, I'll read it on the back of the case, but there's, you know, skiing. Curling, isn't it? Curling. Mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah, they tried to make it a grab bag of just every single Olympic sport. And again, don't own this game. Just watch gameplay. And the whoever was playing it made it look like it was hard to play because I don't think that yeah. they finished anything pr- correctly. Yeah, the the general consensus is actually it looks very good uh, for a 2002, February 2002 game. Like it, it, it yeah. looks very nice. And I was pretty impressed with the graphics. But the general consensus here is that it is unplayable in the sense of it's almost impossible to beat these games to be anything mm. in them. Like they're, they're so incredibly difficult. The controls are very uh, hard to master and it's just very repetitive uh, after that. Sometimes those types of games can do really well. Like if you make a game way too hard to control, it becomes at least these days back in 2002, there was no streaming. But if you make a game like this, where the skiing is incredibly hard to control, think like Octodad mm-hmm. or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It, it becomes a phenomenon just because it's fun to watch people fail. Or something like uh, what Skate, like the Skate franchise yes. is not like Tony Hawk. They made it a bit more realistic. Mm-hmm. So you could possibly have something like this exist again. But I think if you exist in that middle ground between easy to control and insanely hard to control, yeah. it's just not going to work. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, I'm sure a lot of people will have some love for this game and playing it maybe as a kid or at people's houses. And I definitely don't doubt that. And it has not too bad ratings, but it just, overall is uh, a difficult game to play and um we couldn't figure out where else to put this game so <laughs> that too yeah yeah exactly this game didn't really fit in any other category so that's one of the reasons why these games show up here yeah um so to send this one off let me read the back of the case for you let the games begin bane said that experience the intensity of international competition with the most exciting and challenging of the world's winter sporting events Go for the gold in top 10 events, including downhill, downhill alpine skiing, slamming, I can never say this, slalom, 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 yeah, (laughs) slalom, thank you, alpine skiing, K90 ski jumping, 
K120 ski jumping, freestyle mogul skiing, halfpipe snowboarding, speed skating, bobsleigh. That's what they say, bobsleigh. Curling, figure skating, plus ESPN visuals, camera angles, and commentary. Four game modes, including championship and head-to-head play. Brilliant graphics that feature weather effects and facial animations. Unique, addictive gameplay for each individual event. It's funny how that was the selling point back then was graphics that feature weather effects and facial animations. (laughs) (laughs) But that was a big deal. It was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it does like you can tell, too, like it does look ahead of its time. I, I mm-hmm. do like the fact, too, that they did have all the ESPN uh, graphics and everything in the commentary. So they, they did a good job on that. But uh, I'd also like to point out that this is the last ESPN title ever released for a Nintendo system. Hmm. So it is a collector's item. So get it now while it's cheap, everybody. <laughs> uh, moving on. Okay. Next game on the list. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Monsters, Inc. Scream Arena. Okay. Now we're back to a game that is unplayable and just really bad. So this game is awful. I don't know if anyone's seen footage or played it before. It's, you know, it's a party game. It's a movie tie-in. And these were a dime a dozen back then. Uh, This is released September 14th, 2002. Who is this developed by? Yeah, so September 14th, 2002. It's a GameCube exclusive, which is weird. Published published by THQ, developed by Radical Entertainment. Mm. On average, it gets like a 39% on GameCube, so it's pretty bad even at the time. <laughs> That's a generous 39%. <laughs> hey, man, there weren't too many dodgeball games on GameCube. Why is this a dodgeball game? <laughs> so, okay, so I watched a couple of videos on this, and a couple people had theories that this game was supposed to be a Mario Party clone, which it, it initially looks like when you start playing it. It does. But... They ran out of time and money on this, which happens a lot, you know, and, and I, you know, that's that was just a nature of, of the game industry back then. But the thing with the game industry back then is that most things didn't get delayed. They just got put out because yep. no one cared and uh, there was no patches for things. So you do get a lot mm-hmm. of amazing games because of this, you know, because you need to put out a, a com- full, complete game without patches. You have to have make sure everything's working. Yeah. But then you also get the opposite side of things where people don't have time or money and they just say screw it i'm just putting this game out you know let's just only have dodgeball in this game just ship it and i mean sometimes that works there are people again in the youtube comments as i was reading it that absolutely loved it because if you're let's see 2002 monsters inc is huge if Mm -hmm. you're seven or eight years old you don't have any context on what a game should be these are just characters that you love to see you love the movie so just that alone is enough to entertain a kid but it's also a sequel to Monsters Inc. I think that this game could have had a ton of potential. Oh yeah, to have a mo- to, yeah, Monsters Inc. is a fantastic movie. Great premise with it could have been like a portal game almost, where you're going in and out of doors and I don't know, going around the world, whatever. But it was really weird to make it a party game. Yeah, and to, if it is a party game, if you're gonna double down on some kind of a Mario Party clone, make it a complete Pixar franchise at this point because. Yeah. In 2002, well, 2002, there might have just been, what, Monsters, Inc., Bugs Life, and Toy Story. So maybe not enough characters yet to make a full-blown, like, crossover, mm-hmm. which we still haven't had, which is, well, except for Disney Infinity. Um, I, I think just the the worst part about it that really all we can say about it is just the fact that it's just dodgeball, reskinned every single time. Every minigame is dodgeball. Yeah. It's, uh, but you're, you're, you're throwing different things. And an issue, too, with this game, like, you, you kind of touched on it, but... The, there's just not enough characters in the Monsters, Inc. universe to make a party game. So, like, no. you end up just having the same people. It's uh, Mike Scully and uh, what's... Uh, Randall, Randall was the purple yeah. by Steve Buscemi. Yes, Randall. Uh, <laughs> and then I think you have, like, 
a couple others sometimes, but it's, you know. Generic monster shape figure guy. Yeah. And like you said, it could yeah. have been so cool. You could have utilized the doors for all kinds of portal stuff. You Like the movie itself is very unique and innovative and they didn't play at all off of that. I don't know, man. My, fa- my favorite scene from Monsters, Inc. was when they play dodgeball. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, too. Dodgeball games are not fun. Like no, the, the, the yeah, dodgeball is a sport that is only fun when you're actually playing it. It's not fun to just like click A and trying to aim at people. There's no, no, it's not. There's n- nothing behind it. It doesn't translate well to a video game. That's why this is there's super dodgeball in the uh, SNES or NES SNES. It might be an SNES and an NES franchise. It's super well well loved. I think it was also on Game Boy Advance as a launch game, which that that franchise is actually very well regarded in the Nintendo community but there isn't much else in dodgeball um i guess you might have clones like this where you have monsters inc characters playing dodgeball but (laughs) it's such a shame because i like you said when i saw this game i've seen it everywhere this game is in every single video game store i saw it at value village once which is a thrift store that in canada at least um so it's very easy to find and you can tell no one wants to hang on to it but yeah i thought this was an actual monsters inc game based on the movie that's what i always thought too yep didn't know it was a dodgeball game until we started <laughs> this podcast to do more research on it. But yeah, it's just, yeah, overall, uh, just not not a fun time. Would not recommend picking this one up. Yeah, no, Disney was laboring in this generation with uh, video games. It's too bad because they had such a great run in the NES and the SNES days with like Aladdin and Lion King. So you mentioned how uh, Monsters, Inc. was a GameCube exclusive. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, because that's interesting because it seems like quite a few Disney games at the first like year or two for the GameCube were exclusive. So like the Disney sports uh, games were exclusive. Yeah, it's strange because, yeah, a lot of the Disney games back in the day were always released on SNES and Genesis. There was always that Mm -hmm. which is better on which console and even on PS1. A lot of Disney games went to PS1 that weren't on N64. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, N64 Disney games come to mind for me. There was like Tarzan, A Bug's Life. Um, but And then PS1, I just remember every single Disney movie getting a PS1 game. Like mm-hmm. Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, <laughs> like all those random ass early 2000s <laughs> You're right. Disney films. Yeah, which didn't, I don't think, make it over to, to Nintendo systems. So No, most did not uh, for the, the beginning, at least. Yeah, Disney's always been weird to me with video games. They, they make great or there are great Disney video games, but they're all made by external developers, like Capcom making the games in the 90s, uh, this one being THQ and Radical Entertainment. They always kind of just give their franchises to other developers and say, you do it. <laughs> like they, even with their Star Wars, now they have Star Wars, they're they're pimping that out to just, you know, EA or whoever EA, can yeah. mess it up the most. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. It's too bad that they don't diversify a bit and maybe make their own in-house development teams, but it's a shame. Yeah, yeah. If you like Monster Sync Scream Arena, sorry. <laughs> if you want to pick it up on eBay, I don't remember if I said this. It's, a, it's going for about 10 bucks these days. Yeah. Let me read the back of the case so we can send it off. Make them laugh. Having learned the power of laughter, the monsters of Monstro- Monstropolis, I didn't remember that was the name of the town, have created a new training game to help them practice making kids laugh. Okay, so it's a, it's a sequel to Monsters Inc., which we eventually did get. And yeah, they're just, I guess they think dodgeball will make kids laugh more. So that's that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> Moving uh, on. Moving on to Mystic Heroes. This was an interesting mm-hmm. one. Uh, it was. It was released on September 30th, 2002. Also on Game Boy Advance, PS2, published by Koei, developed by Koei. 
this is another one of those games that received average reviews. I, I think we just didn't know where else to put it, and I don't think it aged very well either. It no. received mostly 60s and 70s, so, and it, you know, my high school grades, mostly. <laughs> so it's a, it's actually where we could have put it is in clone episodes. It's a Dynasty Warriors clone okay, uh, through and through. Yeah, it's a 3D beat-em-up game. Yeah, it just does all those things much worse. <laughs> Every video and every like article I read was just trashing this game. It's and I think the issue is is that this game was very very clearly marketed and uh, shown towards you know people who love the Dynasty Warriors games. So mm-hmm. when they played it, they just felt like they got ripped off. Yeah, that's that's I've never played a Dynasty Warriors game, so I guess that's why I didn't pick up on this being a clone of that series. I was trying to find out if this is like a if this was like a sequel or if this is based on an existing video game franchise. It's actually based on a Chinese novel, which was called Investiture of the Gods. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that. Chinese novel. I even found had a hard time finding GameCube copies, North American GameCube copies of this on eBay. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it had a limited release in North America. It was definitely released in North America, but yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. It was all PAL copies. It was French and other languages. So, and then a ton of Japanese versions too. So this is one of the few times, or probably one of the only times I've ever seen that the GameCube uh, copy was released way before the PS2 copy. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it was a very staggered release on PS2, GameCube. And uh, Game Boy Advance, they were all released different times. What was the time frame, the time difference? The Japanese one was released in March, and the Japanese Mm. on PlayStation was released in November. And the uh, GameCube was released in September, and PlayStation, it was released in December. So... Imagine, imagine looking forward to this game, wondering when it's coming out, yeah, like know, where, right? where you have to be, you have to like have a cross map of dates and places <laughs> and where you are. And just... it's, it's interesting because uh, you just, you rarely see that the GameCube uh, or any Nintendo console, especially nowadays is the yeah. first one rather than, uh, than the last one. So, yeah, yeah, but this was the last time when GameCube was trying to compete with PS2 and Xbox on power. So that's what happened yes. is occasionally if, if Nintendo Switch was a powerful console, we'd, we'd see more of this, but we don't. So instead yeah. we get delays. Yep. I did some good research on this. I actually learned a lot, to be honest. Uh, I learned a lot about the Dynasty Warriors games. I've, I've, I've never played the actual Dynasty Warriors games. I've always played the spinoffs like like Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule uh, Heroes yeah, or whatever it's called. And, and things like that. So Dynasty Warriors itself is a spin-off that came from these old games called Romance of the Three Kingdoms and mm. they just realized that people like killing uh like hordes oh, of enemies. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and and so they're like, okay, you know, let's just make a game of this. And so Dynasty Warriors became super popular in the late 90s, early 2000s and mm-hmm. Enter Mystic Heroes, Enter uh, there's a couple of companies who were trying to do this. Yeah. And the the issue here is Dynasty Warriors you're constantly doing something. There's always something to do. You're right. never, there's, it's, it's very fast. It feels like everything's in like sped up and it feels like you're in like fast forward mode. Mm-hmm. And uh, it can definitely make it like a, a, a zany, but fun game. But for Mystic Heroes, it's very, very sluggish, very sluggish movement. Mm-hmm. And w- when you're rolling, it's, uh, it's a lot like Dark Souls when you have too much armor on. Cause every time you move, it feels like you're like, 10 frames delayed it's really weird jeez yeah but if you're going to make a game where you're killing hordes of enemies quickly as the that suggests you have to be able to move fast and have a very fluid gameplay like bayonetta or something like that which or devil may cry something like that exactly and there's also there's a couple levels they don't have like a boss at all at the end 
all it is is just defeat every single enemy or like vanquish every single enemy it's like a funny word yeah there's no reason to do this unless there's an end goal like the end goal is always to get to this cool boss at the end that's what made dynasty warriors really fun that's what makes every video game fun is the the uh the boss fights even when you do manage to go on a level that has a boss on it the bosses are terribly designed one's just called bruin which is just this big bear that's great okay they they look terrible there's a big crow that you just have to fight its feet the entire time it's but like pikmin the... <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah I, I i feel bad whenever i talk i don't want to talk too downly on games that are clearly meant not for me like this is a japanese games it's made yeah. it's meant for people who love anime love this stuff I, I i tried to understand what the story of this game is i don't really understand it i'm just not into <laughs> this type of fantasy yeah, yeah. Props to the people who are. I think I remember our friend of the show, Brayden. I think he said he loved this game. I think this was the one when we mentioned the batch of games we're talking about today. I think he said this was actually a fun game to play at the time. Yeah. I, and I think that's the thing, too, is that there are like some of these games would have been fun to play at the time. But I, now going back to it, playing this was a grind compared to any games now. Yeah. All right. So let me just kill the back of the box here, back of the case, <laughs> and we will move on. In a world thought to have existed only in legend, four brave mystics rise against the shadow of darkness that has engulfed the land. That's every single game. <laughs> like that's, that's every Final Fantasy game. You could have put that in the Yeah, end. dude. Four unlockable characters, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You're like, I don't even want to I lost this. so much. I was like, oh, maybe it's got a good story. This is what I'm talking about. Like... <laughs> Four heroes in a mystic land shrouded by darkness. You have to uncover the secrets. It's like, I could... Uh... And and yet, they make games like this every week. They're coming out on some platform, and we have friends, mutual friends, that love these types of games. So I'm happy for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing about gaming is that... And everything in general is people need to understand. Not everything has to be for you. There's something out there for you. There's something out there for, for me. And we can just exist in the hobby in harmony and not have to be hurt because somebody likes mystic heroes and i don't <laughs> just don't make me uh, play it That's yeah it. exactly exactly okay moving on to the next game i'm excited to talk about this one casper spirit dimension yes was yes. released on october 15th 2002 also on ps2 developed by tdk media active uh developer lucky chicken games which i love that <laughs> um this game looks terrible <laughs> so i mean we're gonna talk about the reason why this is unplayable uh but firstly i don't know if you've seen if anyone's seen some of the gameplay of this but casper looks disgusting in this game he looks so bad and even for 2002 like... yeah the, the, the facial animation in this game is absolutely atrocious <laughs> yeah the voice acting is even worse <laughs> uh, I was trying to understand what the heck was going on just based on the cutscenes, if you want to call them that, and what you're doing. But listening to bad British accents, trying to portray medieval knights and pirates and stuff like that, while Casper oh, is just trying far. to be... Yeah, well, I did. <laughs> while Casper is just trying to be friends with everyone, I didn't understand it. I don't have a huge affinity with Casper as a franchise. My only, I think Casper's cool. I think it's great, but he's competing too closely with Scooby-Doo, and you know how I feel about that. Fair enough. But my only, my only, I never watched a single Casper cartoon, if there was one. I only know yeah, Casper. there's lots. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I only know Casper from the 1990-whatever movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
just to go back, I was like, I remember this movie very fondly. I watched it a bunch of times. Uh, let's 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 go see how it holds up. It doesn't. <laughs> the, this, oh, the CG is bad because they put you know Casper and and his uncles and whatnot in the real world. So it's it's that early era of trying to put CG in real world. People riding on that Space Jam wave, and I guess this game was trying to capture that too. Just like Woody Woodpecker, I think this is one of the last times we've seen Casper in anything. Mm-hmm. A little bit of trivia. For some reason, I stumbled down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Do you know how Casper died? No, actually, I don't. I know. I know the 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 fan theory is that Casper is Richie Rich. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I've read that in a lot of places. No, he was just a boy, uh, and he died of pneumonia. He was playing outside in the rain, and he died, and that's it. Like I just, I was like, how did he die? I wonder. Oh my god. Yeah, that's it's dark. Kind of messed up. Yeah, yeah, I know it. And unfortunately, he came back and made a GameCube game. <laughs> Casper's a tough franchise to put on a video game, especially back then. I, I, I don't. I, I definitely feel for the developers of this game. But let's let's go into the our favorite part of this. Okay. And why it's unplayable. So Casper has the great distinction of being reportedly the first game that has ever used something called the Southpaw control scheme. Okay. And now what the Southpaw control scheme is, is that the default analog stick which is usually on the left side. Mm-hmm. That's usually your moving stick. You know, your, your left thumb is moving your, you and your right thumb is using C- camera. The, uh, the camera. Exactly. Yeah. But Casper switches it. And at first this sounds not great because obviously why would you want to switch it? But imagine doing this on a GameCube controller. Yeah, you're using the C stick then to control Casper. And the C stick was not meant to control anything. No, not at all. The C-Stick is for Smash Bros. and sometimes Metroid Prime. (laughs) Yeah, so at first when I read it, I kind of just was like, huh. You know, I didn't think much of it. And then when I I looked at a GameCube controller, and then I realized, like, it all kind of clicked. I was like, oh my god, like, what? How how can anyone play this game? And so, you know, I immediately looked to YouTube and... Uh, watched all these videos uh, of people playing Casper, and they can't get through like the first level. And also, you're a ghost, so it's not like you're just walking. You're flying, you're floating, and different in spaces in the air. Yeah, it looks like uh, just to compare it to an uh, another terrible game is Superman sixty four. Just the yes. way that you're flying around, and that you can clearly tell that they don't make it obvious, or they make it obvious that the world is clearly moving and you're not. Casper's <laughs> Casper's sprite, no pun intended, on the screen is in the center of the screen the entire time while the world almost like a cube is rotating around you and you're navigating that yes. and your job is to move around and collect gems from, of some kind to move on to next level kind of like in universal studios uh, your job is to collect <laughs> trash in this one it's even worse because you're in a 3d environment flying right away i looked at the cover of this game and i thought oh wow this the, the box art is actually not bad mm-hmm. it's pretty decent mm-hmm. And I was like, why do I like this so much? Oh, it's the same as Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> I also thought that too. Yeah, it's very similar to the Luigi's Mansion. I, I do like that they released it, at least in North America, around Halloween. That was cool. So props yep. to them. Yeah, October 15th, uh, two weeks and change before Halloween. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it helped the sales at all, but <laughs> I'm sure there were lots of kids that love this game. I saw, again, YouTube comments just to see what people's opinions were. Everyone thought, you know, this game was creepy. A lot of people said that they couldn't get through the first level, which I thought was either meant they were too scared or, like you said, controls. Yeah. Oh, for sure, the controls, yeah. The game has a lot of potential for me. When we first, again, made this list, I thought, oh, this might be something I'll check out, I'll pick up. 
Uh, but uh, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> it's a franchise that, uh, like, I don't know much about, but as people can probably guess, I love this aesthetic of spooky haunted house things. Uh, the, the game's not cheap, cheap. It's about 30 bucks on eBay, probably because it's a franchise and it probably didn't sell well, so it's slightly rare. I've never seen this game in the wild. No, yeah. But <sighs> anyways... Back of the case time for Casper's Spirit Dimension. Well, this is kind of hard to read. The font is weird. The future <laughs> of the spirit world lies on your shoulders. Spiral into phantom dimensions where you will fiercely battle for the fate of the spirit world. Portals will transport you to mysterious realms that are populated by ghosts of the past, present, and future. All possessed by the evil Kaibosh. Use your powers of flight and fright to become the quickest, smartest, and most powerful ghost in the spirit dimension. This uh, this sounds like the Shadow Realm. I think Casper got banished to the Shadow Realm. Maybe. Maybe he's a Yu-Gi-Oh card. <laughs> it sounds like a Casper story. It's better than Mystic Heroes. Know. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, goodbye, uh, Casper. So let's move on to Street Hoops. Street Hoops was released on November 28th, 2002, also on PS2 and GameCube, published by Activision, developed by Black Ops Entertainment, 40 to 60%, depending on the reviewer. This game was tough for me to keep on the list. I know, I, like you said, where are we going to put it? I guess, uh, but basketball. What I could gather from <laughs> what I could gather from this game was that, at least from back in the day, was that the people that bought it loved it, but critics did not like it. Yeah, and I think that that will go with a lot of these unplayable games, as we sure. call them. Uh, but it, I don't know. Yeah, for me, I, I I really enjoy a lot of these basketball games, especially NBA Street. NBA Street Volume 3, which is a great, great game. And we'll be talking about that later mm -hmm. on the podcast. Uh, but uh, Street Hoops does not look fun. I don't know. For me, it does not look fun. It looks broken as like as hell. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't played too many of these basketball games, like you said. I, I like the arcade sports games because they're easy to pick up and play. And basketball being probably one of the easiest games to pick up and play, second to maybe soccer. It's pretty straightforward. You just have to run from side to side and get the ball in the hoop. Yeah, so the kind of the general consensus around this game, for critics at least, was that this was their this was Activision's attempt to kind of duplicate the success of NBA Street, which is like I said, a very fun game. Right. But Street Hoops is just kind of it, it looks it looks bad. Gets very shallow in terms of the gameplay. There's just not a lot going on there. There's there's no reason to go back to it. Like I, you would play this once and you'd be like, okay back to mba street it's exactly. just it's one of those things that just uh, someone else does it so much better than you and so it's there's a reason why this was the last game that they made mm -hmm. yeah this game was probably purchased accidentally by a lot of people i'm sure especially parents when kids ask for nba street parents get street hoops <laughs> but yeah to already have nba games and then to have the uh, street games to then have a third fighter in the ring is too much i have a good quote here from GameSpot. okay so uh, it, it kind of sums up from for a lot of other things i've seen uh, street hoops is quite simply bad <laughs> the, the simplistic right. and boring gameplay makes it seem like the developers spent more time making sure the licensed clothing fit into the game than making sure that the basketball game had any merit to it which is very true if you were a fan of Strawberry Shortcake musical matchups for the Atari 2600 <laughs> or any other game where the main function is dressing people up in various clothes, then Street Hoops is nonstop excitement. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, I see what they're saying by the clothing. That That's an interesting concept. I see on the back of the case, it's they have And One as a sponsor. So I guess that's what a lot of the clothing 
was yeah there's a nokia also a sponsor just a nice shout out there good to see Uh, the music also is like not bad it's got some good like rap tracks like uh, cypress hill Hmm. uh and such the audio is mixed terribly like you can barely hear it there's like a dj i guess who does a lot of the commentary uh big boy as he's called and he tosses in like all this stuff that, that just like very I don't know. It's like very commercial. It's like the Steve Buscemi meme with like him dressed up. Got it. You know, and, and it's like skin. yeah, it's like, he's like he's like way too old to be there. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what this game feels like for sure. It, it feels very out of touch. So it feels like adults trying to make a game for thirteen year olds. Yeah, and the adults don't play basketball at all. They just yeah 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 exactly. Mm. Yeah, this is the, again the era in the crossover time where people developing games weren't quite the the kids that grew up with games yet. Yep yeah all right back of the case for this game and we'll put it to bed see the first thing they say rock the gear rock the beats rock the courts yeah that's right there that's i mean that's just so telling (laughs) yeah yeah the blacktop is home to some of the best players in the world hot sauce headache half man half amazing from rucker park in new york to venice beach uh courts in la they rock rims and break ankles. Play as one of these street legends using their crazy hoops and mad handles to school your opponents. <laughs> or build your own baller and see if he's got the skills to pay the bills. With his N1 clothes. Yeah. Oh, I hate that write-up. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's very cringy for sure. Yeah. That's that. <sighs> Moving on. Blood Omen 2 was released on December 9th, 2002, also available on PS2, Xbox, and Windows. Publisher, Eidos Interactive, developed by Crystal Dynamics. Again, this was a game that received around a 70%, so average, but ugh, I looked at a bit of gameplay on this. It looks like a, a Castlevania clone. It's in that aesthetic of being very gothic with vampires and werewolves and stuff like that, the whole Van Helsing thing. But yeah, it was definitely like a Castlevania ripoff. This probably could have been there too. But mm-hmm. my God, the voice acting was terrible. Yeah, that's the one. So, so I really cheesy. don't know much about this game uh, at all. I, I did a bit of research, but then I got bored, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. It's a very boring Which I feel game. Like a, I feel like a lot of people got bored playing this, so I got bored researching it. <laughs> and the yeah, the, the thing that stuck out to me was the voice acting was awful. And voice acting was awful at this time, but this was somehow much worse than anything else I had heard. Yeah, I don't know what this game is supposed to be or who it's for. I'm just staring at the box art. And I see this game in, in game stores all the time. It's Same. not hard to find. Legacy of Kane series. I didn't know this was a series until now. But, uh, God, the box art. The box art is Vex level bad. It is. It is. It's not. It. It's just terribly done. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's a vampire. I don't know what to say about this game. Even the even the, <laughs> the gameplay of itself, like you said, watching it, I got bored. It's very slow. Characters die fast, disappear from the screen. Um... It feels like an early attempt at like the the Dark Souls style. Yeah, or even of God games. of War, like that type mm-hmm. of thing. Like like the HUD is very like Dark Soulsy. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. it was like Dark Souls, Demon Souls kind of style. It it looks empty, very empty. The mm-hmm. the world's uh, just I don't know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I can't stop looking at this box art. It is awful. It's terrible. Yeah, Idos is a great developer. I love Idos. Uh, Idos Montreal. I always like to support them, but yikes. Yeah, this was when they were cutting their teeth, I guess, to make the good stuff. But <laughs> I I couldn't find any praise or anything for this game. Uh, I don't know anybody that played it when I was a kid. No. Nope. I never saw it in game stores as a kid either. Um, so I don't know how well it sold. It was a mature game, which is interesting. 
Yes, one of the few mature games on GameCube. Yeah, just for blood, gore, and violence. And, I mean, the characters are over-sexualized, too. Any of the female characters are all dressed in scantily clad outfit. It was in that gothic era. We don't see too many vampire games anymore, especially in the 90s and 2000s. Like I said, we saw Castlevania games every other year, almost. I think Mm -hmm. they were annualized at one point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recently, in this generation, we had a franchise called Vampire, which I think was met with pretty high acclaim i think it's did fairly well but uh they they're not big anymore all right i don't have anything else (laughs) cool back of the case kane is back to reclaim the high throne of bloodlust and brutality i just think of kane from wwe me too and the the they made this really cool by making the use v's you know (laughs) cast down from power by a mysterious warlord centuries ago kane reawakens in a world he barely recognizes his armies slain, his vampire brethren nearly extinct. Kane is one of the last of his kind. With an agenda of vengeance, Kane shall unleash a wicked wrath to uncover the plot that threatens the land he seeks to conquer. Oh, it's really hard to say that with any sort of enthusiasm. Yeah, well, we're just going to forget that the game ever existed. So. Yeah, sorry, everyone. Last but not least is Spyro Enter the Dragonfly. Oh boy, so I'm I'm really excited for this one. Spyro. Spyro Enter the Dragonfly was released on November 8th, 2002, also on PS2, published by Universal Interactive, developed by Equinox Digital. Yeah, so this game is notorious as one of the worst games ever released for the GameCube. Mm-hmm. When you look up uh, unplayable games, and if you just look up worst GameCube games, this will guaranteed make every list, and a lot of times will be number one. <laughs> so I've never played it. Like all these games, I've never yeah. actually played most of these games, but I have a friend who uh, has played it, uh, Mr. Hunter Tim. Okay. And so Hunter uh, had a few things to say. He, he just sent me some fan mail. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'll I'll read a little bit of what he said, or at least paraphrase. My it. favorite comment that I could find was just Spyro, enter the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> uh, I'm, again, I'm going to paraphrase him here. So okay. he says, I don't remember much about it. But I do remember that loading screens took a thousand years and it was not a fun time ever. What's it loading? Uh, What's it loading indeed? There is no other game as bad as this for GameCube. At least none that I have tried so far. Uh, Huge lag, huge stutter, bad FPS uh, issues. Voice acting is horrible. And so this actually is not from Hunter. This part is from uh, a, a really good Reddit comment. An example of the bad voice acting would be the malformed dragonfly that is following you around and it constantly spews out bzz, 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 sounds when it talks, it's when it, to kill it talks TV. in quotes. Oh, <laughs> uh, most of the character design is really generic. Animation is stiff and models are far off uh, from synced with the sound. The story itself is the most sorry excuse for of a scenario. There's major delay when you move around and the controls feel rather heavy and bulky. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and again, everyone just is like, this is so glitchy. It's terrible. The, the actual video intro is, is hilarious. I, I encourage everyone to watch the intro of Spyro of the Dragonfly. Yeah. Watch it with the volume low. It's, it's bad. It's really tough to see this because I mean, when I was young, you know, in the nineties, I remember hearing so much praise for Spyro on PS1. That's a very highly regarded trilogy, I think, of games that... It is. It's excellent. Excellent games. Yeah, recently re-released on, I think, Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. 
Um, I think it sold really well, just like Crash Bandicoot, seeing a revival. But by the time I, I had the chance to even slightly jump in on this franchise, it was in the GameCube generation when they, they went over to GameCube. And this is my first impression of the game. Uh, it's I didn't play it back then, but I remember seeing... I think I remember seeing trailers or something on a TV somewhere. I remember the box art just not doing it for me i was maybe feeling too old to see a cute dragon on a cover like this <laughs> um, but then looking at it now just seeing like the way that they animated the characters talking is just really clunky oh yeah that's yeah, terrible like, the way they just they move their head to kind of like a muppet actually how muppets don't <laughs> or don't animate themselves is that they they don't flap the top of their heads the way that puppets do because it's not realistic they move mm-hmm. the thumb um this went ahead and just made characters' heads look like they're cracking open to talk. And it's super irritating to watch that, again, when the voice acting is terrible. Gameplay itself, like you said, clunky, heavy. Um, Spyro is, like you said, such a beloved franchise with excellent games, and even the games after this. I was going to say, that this was a low generation for them. They did great out, out the gate. They had the PS2 generation, or PS1 generation, which was fantastic. They had this slog of just terrible games and then they came back with skylanders which was like the biggest thing on on planet earth for like a decade mm-hmm. oh yeah no it's it's i don't know how this happens i, I don't yeah that, that's the thing is i don't know how these games happen i think that's the best way we can summarize this this episode so it, it's it's got actually a really interesting history we're not going to talk about it really that much here just because, you know, this is just a quick segment in yeah. this podcast in this episode. But I, I do encourage anyone to watch the 44-minute video, almost like a documentary on YouTube called The History of Spyro, Enter the Dragonfly. It's very, very interesting. I learned a lot about uh, about Spyro and uh, the whole development process. And yeah, it's... It's a shame. I didn't know this, but interestingly, Universal Interactive bought the rights for uh, for Spyro from Insomniac in 2000 after the final game in the trilogy because Insomniac was like, we're done. I think we're good. We don't mm. want to make any more Sp- uh, Spyro games. We want to focus on Ratchet and Clank. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. So yeah, because of that, uh, everything was very rushed and that was one of the reasons why the final product looked uh, just with had just had glitches and bugs everywhere. Hmm. Like, that's pretty crazy. You buy the game in, like, late 2000, right after the, the last game was released, and then you try and make uh, a brand new game within, you know, a year and six months' time. That's uh, with a whole new team and everything, because, you know, they're not bringing the team over. They're So everyone new working on this thing. Yeah, but like you said at the beginning of the episode, this was the era where development time was set in stone at the, at, at the start, and if you didn't yep. meet that deadline, push it. Like, put it out, put the game out. Who cares? <laughs> yeah and obviously that can fly with something like monsters inc because no one talks about it or cares about it but with something as big and beloved as spyro that you know doesn't fly yeah no pun intended i know anything else to say yeah no i was gonna say it's a shame this game could have done really well to carry the franchise forward even more i think we saw a bit of a lull in the franchise this generation mm-hmm. but i, I grouped this into those 3d platformers that almost made it into my uh childhood memories but not quite i remember him being uh, i think he was in like burger king toys and stuff like that that's yeah, how i that's yeah. how i know spyro is burger <laughs> king toys but yeah no well we will be revisiting spyro in uh in later episodes when we talk about platformers yep uh because spyro does have i believe uh two more games mm-hmm. on the gamecube console yep but for this one let me read the back of the case it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. 
And now we're reading The Back of the Case. The Way of the Dragon. Strength. Discipline. Bubble breath. I have. Dragonfly is missing? Future of Dragon Realms in jeopardy? It seems Ripto is back with an evil plan, and everyone's favorite dragon is on a mission to stop him. Featuring tricky puzzles, dazzling levels, and all new breath weapons, this is definitely Spyro's hottest adventure ever. They just read what's on the back of the case. There's words written on the back of the case, they just read them. And that's what's written on the back of the case. <sighs> anyway, yeah. that closes the uh, the book on bad games from 2001 and 2002. Mike, if you had to pick from this batch of 10 or so games, if you wanted to recommend one that people maybe pick up, which one would you recommend? I'd maybe recommend ESPN Winter Sports because it has curling, and I don't think I've ever seen a game, uh, hmm. a video game that has curling in it. So I'm sure GTA 5 does it. <laughs> What about you? I would say Universal Studios Theme Park Adventure. Only Jeez. because like how many video game or how many theme parks have a video game based on them. Like it's it's kind of a novel idea to me. Um I wouldn't recommend it to play it. I would just recommend buying it to have it on your shelf and never touch it. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, the only reason why I would I would pick that up. Everything else I'd probably skip. <laughs> All right. So, uh, next week is episode 9. And this is a what we call a double A episode. And so we'll be talking about two games that are related to each other. And that is Simpsons Road Rage and Simpsons Hit and Run. I am a huge fan of Hit and Run. One of the few games I've 100 percented in my mm. life. You as well. I know you love Hit and Run. I think everyone loves Hit and Run. That's such a great game. I do. And that's coming from I'm a I'm not a Simpsons fan. I thought you were going to say you were a huge Simpsons fan because you're probably the biggest. You and John are the two biggest Simpsons fans that I know. Fair enough. Okay. I, I also, I am a big Simpsons fan. I am not. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Hit and Run's a great game. It, it's like a Grand Theft Auto clone. And then the other game we're going to be talking about is Simpsons Road Rage, which is like Crazy Taxi. That is literally a Crazy Taxi clone. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be a Simpsons episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very excited. Mm-hmm. But for this episode, thank you so much for downloading. This was the Unplayable Games from 2001 to 2002. Thank you, everyone, for your support. We really appreciate this last week. It's been a one of our busiest weeks, which was nice. Uh, we really hope that you continue to listen to us. And uh, if you have any feedback, again, you can message us on Instagram. We check the DMs. And uh, yeah, we hope you have a great week and stay safe. See you later. Bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.